Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hi, this is Joel Goldberg, author of The Spy Devils. You're watching The Thriller Zone with David Temple. We had a fire in this house about four years ago. This was because this is the hallway from one side to another. This, everything got melted uh -huh. in the heat. And so I got, we can still see the smoke damage. Um, I got, I, I just, I was cleaning it out. I found some, I got to put these up, but you still see smoke damage on these Oh things. my goodness. Wow. These, these, these frames are melted. I got new ones, but. So I'm looking at this. So it's clean. I put it that way. It's clean. It used to be a little more cluttered. You, you could really impress us and say it, you were in the middle of a CIA special ops procedure when uh, bad guys. I was cooking. Uh, I was barbecuing, smoking uh, two uh, chicken halves and uh, a delicious cherry glazed uh, uh, marinade. And uh, it's a whole another story. So we actually know we left, they got a phone call saying our house is on fire, but I never I always had troubles getting the Weber kettle grill to seal. Right. I think that there was just didn't seal enough where the wind came through and blew the ashes and uh, set the house on fire. So I'm guessing uh, charcoal. Charcoal. Yeah. No, no longer charcoal in the house. It's all pellet grill and, and gas flames. Uh, Okay. Side note, because I got to talk about this, because I'm I'm a, I'm a I'm a Weber Grill guy from way 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 back. I've owned two of the same Genesis products uh, forever. Been a pro. Still got it. Yeah, still got. I mean, it looks brand new because I'm a fanatic about keeping it. But I was out talking to my uh, family yesterday, and we we're talking about man. I'm thinking about getting a Traeger grill, and he goes, "Yeah, that's nice, but uh, Traeger's great, but there's a." copy company out there called green mountain green mountain and maybe pitbull uh well i know pitbull i i got a green mountain okay so it's basically traeger but it's got a, this one's got wi-fi which i don't use as much as i anymore so that was kind of an extra pay a little bit higher temperature same technology i use traeger pellets you can't go wrong yeah but Green Mountain has a, I think a little, had a little bit more uh, flexibility to it from this particular. I got the Daniel Boone or the Davy Crock, whichever the, not the small portable one, the Daniel yeah. Boone, I guess. Uh, I love pellet grilling. Set it and forget it. Well, I'm now all in. As soon as I get home, I'm, I'm ordering one because I grill everything all the time. And I've gotten kind of tired of that propane taste. Yeah, I, I well, I have my smoker because because the it I means it's a grill, so it's a smoker and a grill, just crank the temperature up. Right. But I also got my Weber. That's outside now, my grilling controlled fire area, um, and I so I have the Weber right there, so I can go back and forth between them. You know, get that thing to ripping hot. If I want to smoke some lamb chops mm. and don't want to wait to get the temperature up, I can just get that Weber going to to you know ripping hot. Throw them on there really fast, sear the outside, be done with it, and walk away. Oh. Or you can crank the temperature up on their Green Mountain or your Traeger. Look, I mean, it's using smoke energy. I mean, it's still smoking. 
sure. and it'll get up there pretty fast, but you can just save time by just ripping. But that I use them both. I use I use that. I use a sous vide a lot, and uh, the grill and the smoke. Those are my. I, I cook. I do the cooking. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna have to start uh, a new show called The Cooking Zone, and and you'll be my first guest. Authors who cook. We, there you go. Yeah. We cook writing and we cook cook. Yeah. We cook. There actually seems to be a, a connection because there's a creativity element to it. You sure. can see the results of your work immediately. We are going to talk. Uh, we can we can continue to weave in and out of cooking and choppers. But I, I assume you're editing this as you go along. Well, you know, a lot of times uh, in the past, I've edited everything because I'm kind of a control freak. And lately, I'm just thinking in the interest of time, sometimes I just want to go so that people can see how it happened in real time. Raw. Plus, uh, the amount of time that it saves Joe is kind of insane. I, I, I understand that. Doing one, I love one takes. Well, and, and my, you know, my first career was radio, so right. 25 years. You get on the air, you pop that microphone open, and you go. There's no, oh, can I do that again? Got a great special guest, as you've already heard as we've started the show already, but I got to jump in and make it official. This mm -hmm. guy's been a CIA covert action officer, which we're going to find out what that is exactly. A corporate intelligence director. Sounds quite impressive. An international political consultant and now teaches colleges and college and writes. Writing is, of course, what we're going to be talking about today. A warm thriller zone. Welcome to Joe Goldberg. Yay, me. Show your love. Show your love. Dude, it is so good to have you on. I, I feel like I already know you because I've been doing all this press, uh, pre-release pre press for you, and we've been chatting right. back and forth. It's really great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. I love the talk. You love the talk? Let's yes. talk. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, um, I want to ask out of the gate because this is we're officially in a lot of different areas, finally coming to a place of normal again. And I wanted to ask, how's your return to normal thus far? And how is your fourth holiday weekend? Uh, fourth holiday, let's work backwards. Fourth holiday weekend was quiet, which has changed. We've got three grandkids. We've been traveling a lot. Yeah. Uh, there are and most of my families now with the kids in Indiana, Nashville area the I-65 family. Sure. And um, about 30 years ago, I started writing a thing called Founding Fathers, Words to Think About. And I take a founding father and I would do a quick bio and some quotes on relevant topics. And as they said, I'm an American history minor, John Adams being my historical sort of guy. Yeah. And so I started doing that and saying around, and now it is become, I post it to Facebook. I got emails and texts saying, is it, is it coming out? You know. 25 or 30 years of this, you start running out of Revolutionary War people. But I try to pick people that maybe, and I did the biggies, but I try to do people or things that maybe never heard of. I just did John Dickinson mm -hmm. two days ago, because you've heard the name maybe, but what you know about Dickinson or Lafayette two years ago. So that always occupies my July 4th weekend, writing a this uh, short biography, historical tome, and setting it out. So, and that July 4th is great. And I can't remember what I cooked. We barbecued, I can't remember, we did something. Meat, we did meat. Well, of course um, you did meat, but- Oh, flank steak, that's what it was. Flank, yeah. okay. And uh, side note, because we were talking uh, cooking earlier, what's your favorite marinade and or seasoning for flank steak? I like to have the taste of the meat come through. I don't want to over marinate it and over season it. So if it's a simple salt and pepper, 
you know, if I'm going to throw little olive oils, a little garlic, a little whatever it might be, I don't want to overpower meat. I want, I want to taste it. You know, I don't want to taste seasoning. I want to taste the stuff. Um, so I don't really have a fear. I just kind of th thrash and dash off it goes. Okay. Uh, although the marinade on the flame steak was good. Um, uh, the COVID coming out, I liked the cave. I'm still kind of in my COVID cave. Uh, don't need to impress anybody. Don't need to dress up. Don't need to just get to stay home. I kind of am built that way anyway, sort of an extrovert with an in and an introvert at the same time. It's kind of an intelligence thing, I guess. And so I'm just trying to grind out of the cave, but things are starting to normal up. The teaching thing is still on Zoom or online. Okay. I do not know if we're going to go in classroom in the fall or not. My summer classes are always online anyway, but yeah. That, if I actually go back into a classroom, that's a return to normal. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, it's funny. People were asking me when we were starting to gather again, they said, hey, yeah, how's your time been? I'm like, dude, it hasn't changed a bit. I, I spend most of my time inside my man cave writing, and I've been doing that pretty much ever since. Yeah. Uh, my favorite yeah. thing so far is just hitting the restaurants and the craft breweries, which San Diego's notorious for it. Yes, I, I, I learned this thing called uh, delivery. Yeah. I'm all in on that. Yeah. I don't need to go to Costco. Ship it in. Ship it in. Yeah. No wonder Amazon stock has gone through the roof since in the last uh, 18 or so months, right? And I am personally taking care of that for them. They need to send me a thank you note. For that. <laughs> I do have to ask you because when I, I started at the top of the show at, about this, and what is the difference between CIA covert action officer? Is that any different than just a CIA agent? I mean, explain that to me because I'm, I'm curious. Well, CIA, if you're in. You know, it's complex. I don't know how they, they've changed the definitions. But my day, you know, you were you were a case officer if you were part of the operations. You know, agents and spies are for are people who we recruit or work for us. So if you're a CIA person, you're an officer, you're a case officer. My specialty was covert action. So I was the, the, uh, classified as a covert action officer. Um, and I did case officer too as part of my covert action stuff. Yeah. But you know, if you're, it's a huge thing. So you're a, an analyst, you're a technical person, you're whatever. People in the field are usually case officers if you've been trained, and you may have a specialty. So that's why I was I call it covert action because that's a niche. And so plus I and I did also classical case officer before I got out. So if I wanted to, let's pretend I could join the CIA today. If I wanted to join the CIA. I'm just curious because we're going to get to the research in your book. How does one do that? How complicated, how intense is that? Well, it's a lot easier now. For, you don't join, you, you, have to, you, you apply. Um, back up, you know, once again, I'm a dinosaur. So they came on campus in Iowa and they, Iowa, 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 they uh, uh, interviewed and I had a political science degree and a communications degree master, uh, and a master's. And I thought that was, a, I've always wanted to work in the government and I always liked Man from Uncle, Mission Impossible. Oh yeah. So, so it was the one place I thought I wanted to go into government if I wasn't getting elected. So they came on campus. I interviewed. It took about a year because of various paperwork issues, and then they call you in and you basically I think they, in essence, they shop your file around to different places where they think you might be interested. They they may have interest in you, right? And then those if those offices aren't like you. They call you back and say, hey, we want you to come interview and do the rounds with these different offices and do an interview and they may like you. Now, 
they got a website and they got news and you know they they recruit online and it's sort of the same thing rather than to send out recruiting officers to colleges which i'm so sure they still do but you just can apply online and do your thing and i got i get a lot of uh students that like who are interested and i tell them just go to the website and and if you've got the skill the language skills or the personality or whatever it might be that they're interested at the time they'll find you you know they'll, they'll call you through because it's very 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 selective and they're looking for certain attributes that will help support you know the, the cause the mission and if you got them they'll at least look at you you know and speaking of mission impossible to jump forward now uh mm -hmm. the opening of the spy devils your latest novel mm -hmm. uh, our main character was raised to be a spy and now he yeah. leads a highly trained team of covert espionage agents as they mm -hmm. were a stolen briefcase around the world yeah that's just a, that's a MacGuffin. that's a that's an albert hitchcock thing well, it's it grabbed me by the shirt with that opening scene, and it felt yeah. like. And it's funny you should say this because it felt like a scene straight out of Mission Impossible or uh, James Bond or Born Identity or any of the Born uh, series. And it, it just, I matter of fact, do you care if I read the opening paragraph? Because I love this paragraph. Go ahead. It's 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 popular. It is so. I mean, it's. It, it, I think it's going to be in my top twenty favorite openings. Um, and, and I love the one little thing you do is you titled your chapters. We're going to come back to that. So this is Kiev, Ukraine. The instant he was tossed from the balcony of his luxury suite into the cool darkness, he calculated how long it would be before he landed on the crowded sidewalk 10 stories below. He couldn't help it. That's how his quantitatively oriented mind worked. Factoring his considerable weight distance to the sidewalk and gravity, he determined he would hit the concrete in roughly four seconds, give or take. Yeah, there is yeah. no way if the if the house was on fire while I was reading that paragraph, I would say, honey, you got to go take care of that because I got to at least finish this chapter what happens. Right. Well, that's the point. I appreciate that. And the opening in, in uh, many comments have been your first chapter is your best chapter, which is hopefully it would be because you want people to read the following chapters. And that opening has been a uh, says I get a lot of comments about that. So I appreciate that. Um, I actually think I wrote, I, I kind of had the idea for it a long time ago. I think I actually wrote that on vacation years ago at Pigeon Forge, Tennessee on a family vacation, sitting in our, our suite. I just sat back at a little kitchen table and that came out, basically that came out. Yeah. Um, well, and you want to get people, you want people to go from the first sentence and you want them to ask themselves, why is this guy being tossed off a balcony? Sure. Right. That's, that's the point. You want them to keep reading. Why? And then that. Hopefully that's the hook that keeps them going. And so far, so good on that. that I appreciate that. That's, uh, I like that. And if you listen to the Audible, uh, PJ Ocklin, the uh, narrator, does a great job of, of translating that to word. Well, I, I liked, uh, I, I listened to just the sample. Um, I didn't have time to read the book and listen to the audio right. and get halfway across the country to meet family and so forth in the amount of time I had. But I saw your schedule. You're a busy man. Yeah, it's it's a little bit crazy. I stack it a little bit too high sometimes. One thing I I, I give a big kudos to PJ because uh, I do audiobooks as well. But man, to be able to nail multiple uh, uh, ethnic backgrounds and accents and tonalities and differentiate and then keep them all straight in your head. It is a true challenge and that those guys really, well, I'd like to say we guys, we guys, we make our, we earn our money, but I'll tell you, if I had seen this, I might've said, 
Joe, I love you, buddy, but yeah. I'm not sure I can handle this one. Yeah, and I had some people who were great, Bob Johnson and others who were just fantastic. Um, and he was, he was, you know, all very good. But PJ just was able to capture across the board, you know, Ukrainian, sort of Eastern European and Chinese and Alabama and New York and just Serbian. It's funny. I'm glad you said that because I was going to tell you one of my favorite things about reading this book was visiting the various parts of the world, Eastern Mediterranean, around Cyprus and the Ukraine. Right, Cyprus. And what I love about that and one of the things that um, I love to focus on in my writing I and my latest thriller takes you literally nearly around the world is doing that, visiting these different cities and these cultures and uh, and I've been complimented and I want to compliment you the ability to transport you into a city or country, an area and and give you that sense and the feel of it uh, with just a few sentences, which leads me to another compliment, which and I, I love this about you, 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 your description of scenes. It's like just enough to inform without uh, being overly done to distract. I, I hear people comment, for instance, about James Patterson's super short chapters and how uh, how non-dense they are. But I'm noticing that readers are making comments like, I love the fact that these chapters are short and they're moving quickly because I don't have I just don't have the time and the attention span that I used to. Do you find that to be true as well? Oh yeah, I, since I may come out of a broad, sort of broadcasting creative world and attention spans and, and sort of movie stuff, you know, attention spans were 10 minutes. Then when I did videos and the like in the government, it was seven minutes. And now I, talk, I, teach, I do social media, I teach social media. And you got 300 words max if you're actually writing or doing something on social media. And that's about, you know, 10 seconds, 15 seconds. So you try to, if people are reading, that's a, you know, that's a, the mind works differently when you read. So it's willing to accept certain words. And actually what I did for this, to be honest, I, but those things were a lot longer. They got a lot shorter. Um, is I went to audiobooks, and I, and I'm a traditional book guy. Like we mentioned my fire in my house. I, you know, a lot of books had to go because of smoke damage, but the, I, I went back and listened to the, the early books of the series like, you know, Brad Thor and Vince Flynn and, of course, John the Curry, the greatest, and, and Frederick Forsyth. I wanted to hear what made them become what they are, you know, the greatest of all time. Because if I read, my eyes skip. If I get to the point where it's saying, oh, the gold gilded door shone brightly in the sunshine and the lilies, and I'm like, okay. And then you skip down to, and then the Glock 617 came out and capped the guy twice. Okay, now my eyes are interested. So you skip all that stuff. But if yeah. you're listening to it, you can't do that. Now, now there's a, if you read and listen at the same time, that's actually better if you can do it. But at least I wanted to hear how they constructed these things. And my mind said, oh, that's too much descriptive. Or that's, you know. And so I kind of wanted to hone myself into what's a, what's a right amount, the stuff that I like for me. Who did you find to be the personification of that description? Well, I always liked John Le Carre, John Le Carre. He, uh, I, of course, I think that he's, he actually wrote espionage books. And, and Frederick Forsyth, Day of the Jackal was just like a masterpiece. Oh, wow. um, you know, contemporary, it's a different style. I don't even know if John Le Carre could get published today. Um, 
because he's not uh, an action thriller guy. How many people die in Tinker Tailor? Two, three. Right. How, how many people die in Date Jackal? Two. I mean, it's 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 about the process and the thought and the internals. Where it's not quite that currently. I happen to believe that maybe this curve for the action thriller genre, the espionage genre, is maybe cycling back towards a more literary sense, which is kind of where I was aiming. Uh, so I don't know who the best descriptors are. Everybody's got their own style and everybody as readers absorbs things differently. You would, you go for the types of things that you like. Your writing and my writing are different than, you know, whoever's writing might be. And, and that's why some are more successful, whatever it might be. But uh, I write to my ears, all right? That's a really great way to look at it. And, uh, and people, I have these conversations with authors all the time and, and we talk about, well, a particular author might like this influence or that influence or that style. And they go, how, what should I do? And I'm like, I'm always saying, well, do what you do. I mean, mm -hmm. do what feels right to you or how your sensibility is. and. I always look at it this way and without sounding too Pollyanna, do what makes your heart tick. And if it resonates with others, audiences, they'll follow along. If, right. it, if it doesn't, then either continue until you refine it and find people who do or consider doing something else. Yeah, well, there's this when that goes down to this sort of philosophical question of why do you do it? Um, I mean, writing is hard. I'm a slow writer. I sit and think for days about writing a word, and then I can pound it out. It's not as I say, I'm not Stephen King, 200,000 words a day, where I can't sleep. I gotta think about it, and then I write what I see. Um, but there's a philosoph philosophical, why as you, as a writer, you know, do this stuff? Do you, uh, do you want fame? Do you want fortune? Do you want to tell stories? Do you want, what what is it and you know i think i've written a, you know some pretty good books i did they gotten some nice reviews and like but they're not they're not blockbuster bestsellers let's make a netflix you know miniseries out of them is that depressing and dis disappointing from the point of view of maybe this is the one yeah sure but why did i do it because i want to tell a story okay and i'll write a couple more and maybe tell those stories and maybe i'll get some traction but if i'm doing it for fame and fortune you know that's a hard thing to do in writing if you're doing it to get an agent that's not the, my reason my reason is to tell people stories and hopefully they'll enjoy them and i don't care if it's written on on flaming arrow or on the back of a turtle here's my story hopefully you enjoy it um so it's, so there's a motive intent that goes behind the quality of writing um direction of writing it's just a general what do you like philosophy this is a great jumping point because I wanted to, and I, I want to make sure I stay on task, but your um, uh, Secret Wars and Espionage Story was your first novel and you self-published that. Yeah, so yeah. 2014, I want to say. Yeah, that's a story and a half. Did you, so let's do this real quick. Tell me about that process. Did you say to yourself, I have this story and I don't want to go down that long road trying to find the agent. I'm just going to throw it out there myself. Or do you, did you spend enough time going, I'm going to get it to the place that if uh, it is agent worthy, 
um, then that opportunity will arise. But right. But the fact that you self-publish it, it gives me the impression that you're like, I'm not going to wait around. So tell me. Right. Well, I did that for Spy Devils too in the end. Secret Wars, I wrote, I really wrote back in 1999 to 2001. Um, and I had it, I just did it on my own. This is, this is that Stone Age for you know, writing nowadays. I mean, there was no internet. You had to write the cover letters and put them in packages and send them. And uh, you know, editors were expensive and there wasn't that published on demand was, eh, you know, published on demand. You really, that's kind of like, you know, being, you know, third step child of a cousin you don't even know. So, uh, so I, and I kind of played it aside and then some events happened in my life. So I started, I started writing it up again. And I actually had on, in 2001, a stack of manila envelopes with the book and the cover letters ready to go the week of 9-11, actually two days before 9-11. Oh, wow. And then 9-11 happens, which is a terror event. My book is about terror the, the, at the beginning of Secret Wars is about sort of the beginning of terrorism in the 80s. And so I ripped open the packages, rewrote the cover letters saying, if not now, books about terrorism when? And I got back actually comments from Aiden saying, like it, but nobody wants to read about terror because it's too terror. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Everybody sort of froze up. Well, that was wrong because everybody took off except for me and I sat on it. Um, and then I re, like I said, in 2013, 14, I re-energized myself. The market had matured where I, there was published on demand. There was create space and the like. I tried the agent world again. I'm not a very good querier. And just said, I want to get it out. I want to get out by a deadline because I had certain milestones I wanted to beat before maybe the clock ticked on me. And um, it was pretty successful. It's as close as it's real as I can get about going to prison. Sure. Um, and so then I kind of sat around for, what was started doing a sequel to this, told don't do a sequel, do a contemporary spy book, started rewriting another again, wrote about 300,000 words, came up with spy devils and said, well, I want to validate myself with an agent. If I don't have an agent, it means I've, I've quit my dream because I'm just going to self-publish, therefore I'm not a real writer. So I decided to self-publish, right? I see that all the time. It drives me absolutely nuts. Don't give up on your dream. My dream is not to get an agent. My dream is not to be published by a top five publisher. It'd be great. My dream is to tell stories through books. And hopefully people will like them. Does it help to have an agent and wide distribution and the power of big five publisher behind you? Absolutely. I would love it. I, and I, I will be honest with you, during COVID and a little bit before, I queried about 150 times. That's about how many rejections I got. And I changed my query letter. This has been edited by professional top-notch editors who said, this is a top-notch book, okay? And I think from reviews of people read, it is. I just couldn't crack through either COVID, my own impatience, and everything else to say, that have an agent pick it up. So I said, enough is enough, I'll do it myself. And that's why I ended up again. So maybe I should, if I waited another three or five years or I'm not gonna go through another edit, Maybe I would have gotten an agent and said, ah, look, I'm a great writer now because I have an agent. But um, I think I did what I did. You know, I, I don't know how to even end that. This is such a quandary. I think anybody who's writing today, minus the guys who are repped by the big five on its way to being four, then three, then two. Yeah, exactly. Um, I said five because it's whatever. Because it's classic. Um, I, I say to them, uh, or I say to a lot of my friends who are still in the self-pub world, 
exactly what you're saying. Why are you writing? What what are you doing it for? And is that of paramount importance? If you don't get an agent, if you continue to query until one day you just have hit the wall, whatever that number is, is it 50? Is it 100? Is it 250? Are you going to quit? You know, and I and you use the word validation uh, as in I'm a writer. I don't think the and I, and I have not spoken this out loud, so I'm you're you're experiencing this at the right time. Yeah. If I love writing and I continue to write, and those around me who read my work enjoy it, and I find even a modicum of success, a modicum of success, does the fact that I don't have an agent and get repped by the big five truly make me successful or, or not number one number two what is that how long does it take before we is is self-published writers how long will it take before we go okay well i've done two i've done four i've done eight i'm now just finishing my eighth and i'm like i don't have representation however i don't think and i'm not trying to be uh obtuse or or, or uh you know be cool or whatever, but I don't think my stuff is good enough just yet. I've always worked on this kind of the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours mm -hmm. be in LA, which I was 10 years or write 10 books. And I figure about that time, about the time you put in that amount of time, you got a pretty good idea whether you're going to have the chops to make it or not. And so all of that blah, blah, blah is to say, yeah. What I, I guess what it is, is what sort of validation does one need? And how long before making it is making it? Right. Well, I could have, and I agree with that. And everybody, every individual writer or actually reader too, has to make that determination on their own. Could I have gone to more small publishers and just skipped the agent and gone to a, a small self-publisher? Yeah, I talked to several. But then I lose, I, then I, I'm delaying more and giving up control of things that I think I want to keep control of a little bit. Uh, I'd have to wait another year and all these sort of things. I, I made the decision to self publish. And I, I had, a, I think it's a quality finished product, quality, you know, pay, I had the means to pay for these things. So I was able to get covers and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And uh, I put out what I think is a quality product a year before it probably would get out if I would have gone any other route. Does that year make a difference? I don't know. I'm naturally impatient. And so it's out. I'll have my second one out before the first one would even out. I would have gone another route. Would I have liked? I had 25, 35 full read agents. It wasn't as if it was just I got rejected. It was constantly. I like your writing. I like the knowledge. I like the story. I love the characters, comma, but I don't think it's going to, you know, it's not for me at this time, basically is the one, or some, some line like that. So I don't know how many more times am I going to listen to all the accolade stuff, which I agree with. I think it does have good characters, a good story. It's not poorly written. It's not garbage. But for whatever reason, for almost every agent who's breathing in this market, it wasn't the one. Is it poorly written? They didn't say it was. Is that bad characters? They didn't say it did. 
did I query poorly? That's a different question because I did multiple query letters. I had professional queries made. I did all the things you're supposed to do to land the one after 41 or 42, and right. it didn't happen for whatever reason, uh, whatever. And it's not like I didn't get any partials or full reads. I got lots of them. It just didn't happen. So at some point you kind of go, it ain't gonna happen. And if I write eight books in the next eight years, which would be insane, um, I don't know how many, whatever. If I write a number of books, and they're self-published. I got books, and you know why? Uh, okay, for whoever's watching, I've told the story. It's kind of in my often. Why do I write? Why did I actually start? Because I wanted to leave something behind. I wanted my grandkids not to forget me, or my great grandkids. I want them to stay on the shelf. That's great grandpa's books. He wrote that. I wanted to be remembered for some psychological end of life, as a sixty-year-old thing. So now I, I have those things and I'm telling, and they can read good stories and know something more about me and how my mind works, at least in the espionage thriller writing genre, which I won't stay in forever. Um, so that's, that is the deep down Joe reason why I decided to start this, not even to tell you necessarily good stories. I wanted to leave Mozart. I want, you know, I wanted that thing that's in the library of Congress. So that makes sense? Am I getting through it uh, yet? Sure. The deep down- It sounds trite and superficial, but it's true. No, 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 you, uh, you're you wearing the t-shirt, the deep down Joe reason. I mean, that's that's what we're, that is the, re why, do, why do we do it? Because yours is to leave something behind for people to, your family to remember you about. And I, and I love that. And you know, what is, what did my dad used to always say? Cream always rises to the top. To the top yeah. Um, and, but but I'll tell you something. The thing that you said that, uh, and I've seen it a couple now times now. And and I used to be, I did some acting back in Hollywood, and you would go in and do this audition. You're sitting before a board of people. Maybe it could be four, it could be six, it could be fifteen, and they're all like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and yeah, that was really really good. Yeah, that was. You're just not for us. Yeah. Yep. And you know, it, it's impossible for you not to take that personally. Um, uh, yeah, you do, but I also, but you plug, like you say, you're an actor, you're, it's a given, you plug ahead. Um, I, I didn't, I couldn't figure out, and you can't talk to agents, necessarily. a couple of you can, uh, who actually give you feedback and personal feedback, as in some things, most of them are kind of like just blow you off. But yeah. if you can, do you want to get better at something? You know, then listen and try to get better. Um, work at you know, the Gladwell thing. I'll be the first one in my thing to say, is, am I writing Hemingway? No. Am I writing uh, Gabriel Alon? You know, am I doing Dan Silva? Or, or, no, I'm doing Joe. And, and it's as good as Joe as I'm gonna get. And if it rubs off on, and I, and I want to do something different in the sense of, I didn't want to do, in my mind, the hero element, although I have a hero, he was actually not a, Bridger was not the main character of the book. He was a secondary character in early drafts who just took it over. Oh, wow. And he was not, he was, I added him later on to help me out on some storylines. And then he took over, the, he took over, he took the whole thing over. Um, as, he but, as he should have, which is what, the, my reviewers, my reader, my editors were saying, who's the main character? 
I go, well, you know, it's kind of turning into bridge. He goes, yeah, you're right. I want to know a lot more about him than these guys. So I, that's why I wrote 300,000 words to get, you know, 93. One thing I did really, it, it actually caught me off guard. Did it catch me off guard? Did I didn't pick up on it at first? Did I didn't quite see it? Was the fact that Bridger's mom was his boss. Mm -hmm. I remember the first, maybe about the second time I read it, I'm like, wait, mom? Did mom. I, mom? What? Mom. Honey, make sure you do so-and-so. And I'm like, what? I had to go back and go, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. His boss is his mom. Where did that come from? That's awesome. Uh, that, that's, well, that's basically fiction. I, I didn't want to have a male dominated materials. I wanted to have strong female characters as I worked for in fact, all my, not all, many of my early bosses in the agency were strong females. Well, strong bosses, but at that time, you know, the character, the female had to fight their way through the male dominated you know, network, especially the agency, sure. the government. And I learned a lot from them. They were great people. They helped me in my career. So I kind of always wanted to pay homage to them by having that type of character in the book. And, and I thought that the, um, I wanted Bridger to be something different. I guess I didn't want to be a product of special forces. I wanted to be a product of, of a life existing within this one world. And how does the only way to do that is to be born into it. And so his mother became his boss. She's based upon a lot of people who I respect. And it added a, an element of how do you, how do you deal with family? You know, how do you deal with these particular issues in these situations that you weren't expecting to come along, especially when your relationship is sort of irreverent, right? Well, um, so, so I, I, I pushed that. And then, it, so he has, okay, I'll answer the question. I have to think about it for a while I'm rambling, then I come down to the real reasons. At the time I started writing this, whatever draft of this book that was, um, both my parents died within a few months of each other and a few other things happened so i and so i had a book that if you read carefully although much has been cut there's always a child parent relationship in the book there's wow. a there's you know the ira bondar versus her father and and there were other ones i had to cut but there's bridger and his mother and there's father and mother figures within the book so i wanted to have this family dynamic sort of pay homage to the fact that you know there's god's going through family issues on my own and moments of loss and grief and hope and things that you learn so that was behind some of the subtle if you read it closely you'll see still see some smattering and then the next book rebellious son um there's i'm bringing back a lot more of their background and some of that tension family tension and something like what happened to bridger's father okay so you you've just answered uh, one of my questions is is there a sequel what is it rebellious son when is it coming out everyone always wants Good question. Like I say, I'm a slow writer. Um, I really, really hope this is July. I keep saying every Sunday night, this is the week I start writing every damn day and every day. I write, I actually write better at two o'clock in the morning. So I got to get back on a night, night owl schedule. I don't write well during the day as well during the day. Too much social media out there. And so I'm hoping to have it, if not by end of this year, early next year, before you know, in, the, in the book period, It'll be a series of three as of right now. Okay. Then I wouldn't mind getting out of the thriller genre unless okay. someone says, oh, stay in the thriller genre because no one's going to pick up. 
no agent will pick up a series, right? So now it's I'm, I'm on my own now because no one will pick up a second book of a series unless that's a new thing that I haven't heard of. Um, Is that right? Tell me about that. Norman, well, from, from the internet. You don't believe the internet. I Googled it. Wait um, a minute. Who said it? The Google, the Google said it, for God's sake. It was some dot-com thing that, uh, you know, if, if they, they, they like the beginning of a series, a, a three-book uh, deal, and uh, then they can see how bad or poor or mediocre the book for first book sold, and they don't want to pick up a series. So they already got one. So if I'm wrong, hey, any agents, here's my info. Um, I'll still go for it. Um, I probably will ask when I'm ready to roll. Uh, if I'll send it out to see if there's anybody's interested. Okay. Um, I, I have two more, certainly two more Spy Devil books, and if people like it enough, I can I can continue the series. Yeah. I'm not gonna. I will not kill Bridger. Okay. I, I'll give the ending of the third book right now. He ain't. Maybe other ones, but he ain't gonna die. Because um, I got a mini series down the road of his name on it. But I will be. Rebellious Son. I think the book three will be called Devil's Own Day, which is a Civil War phrase from Grant and Sherman. So yeah, I'm playing it. But I want to ship genres. I want to, I've had this great American novel in my head since 1990, my Kill a Mockingbird, and I got a stack of research. So I'll, I'll drop thrillers and go into literary fiction, historical fiction, which is what, which is what Secret Wars was. I, I think I do write better historical fiction. And that's what Secret, Secret Wars was historical fiction. Let's take 60 seconds and talk about the difference between, we'll call it commercial fiction and literary fiction. Okay. Not only necessarily the differences, but why right. you want to do that and what you think the, how you think the audiences differ. Well, the audiences do differ, obviously. I would say, I don't want to talk about to read types of other types of fiction that may be literary, historical, um, romance, whatever it might be, that's a that's a different audience, a different way to interpret words, sentences, structures are different, uh, thematics are definitely different. Character development is probably even as, even more more important because that's what you're building everything on. You can't rely upon oh, as as Josh Hood famously says, if if all else fails, kill somebody. I mean, it's you just can't jump into an action scene and say hey. Let's, I don't know what to write, so let's just start blowing things up. Right. You need to have a purpose. There's a, there's a thematic behind it. I tried to have a thematic to mind, which was the family element. Uh, under, under the story, everybody has a story. Truth is stranger than fiction. All those phrases with thematics of spy devils. People won't pay attention because they want boom, boom, and bang, bang. But that's, the, and I don't want, I, didn't, I never want to write it. I never want to write boom, boom, and bang, bang. That's start, Secret Wars barely has it. Um, but I had to do it because that's what the market wanted. You know, so I added that stuff. Uh, I think literary fiction can have boom, boom, some boom and bang if that's the story. But like I just finished Three Musketeers again, like two days ago. I'm a genre and, and Connie Monte Cristo. So I'm going back and listening to Don Quixote and contemporary literary fiction to start changing my mind to, uh, to get those differences back. Because I've been stuck in the thriller world, listening to all these other books, which just has a different style. And and back to my Joe being impatient, I just am not as good a student of this as I should be. If you want to be good at it, you got to be good at it, right? You got to work at it. Your Malcolm Gladwell thing. So you know the writing groups and the study things and the I'm just not that guy. I I do things you know brute force. 
and I'm, I'm breaking out, but how do I know more about literary fiction? I got to talk to people. I got to call the authors up and connect with them and say, I don't, you don't need to, you know, Margaret Atwood, don't, you don't need to tell me the, 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 how you do it, but I can watch your masterclass. That's basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to watch 20 masterclasses on writing again and just start taking it. It's what a different thriller too, because the thriller guys are there too. Right. To try to change the mindset to those people who read that stuff, which is different, which is they're trying to connect more to their life. Thriller and espionage is escapism. I'm walking into a world which you're never going to see no matter how hard you try. Right. Or if you're writing about To Kill a Mockingbird, you grew up with those people. Yep. At your hometown. Yep. You know that person. You, you went to that shop. Yep. And that's a different kind of experience that you try to write about as opposed to ex explaining how a bullet goes through a barrel of a gun at whatever speed and they're bumped. You know, that's that nonsense. Right. Does that make sense? I'm a, I, 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 100%. I'm still trying to figure out myself. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, if you're going to sit down and read uh, Jack Carr, for instance, if you want to know what kind of gun, what kind of velocity around, how fast, that kind of thing, and you know a bunch of clowns are going to get murdered, mm -hmm. that's the guy to read. Right. Um, I want to yeah, jump off a second because this, yeah. is, this is interesting. Um, I was watching Spectre last night. And I'm a huge James Bond fan. I, I and, and to this day, I, and I know that everyone is from Lee Child on, whomever, fill, fill in the blank. They're all trying to do the next James Bond. I get that. Right. But I'm watching Spectre last night, and my mind flashes back to Skyfall for some reason, which is one of my favorites. And I started thinking about you, you popped into my mind because a Bridger and the Bridger mom relationship, having just read your book and it being mm -hmm. fresh popped into my mind and I'm thinking to myself the uh how interesting that at the end of Skyfall and I was recalling oh that's right one of the only female characters especially one that is so prominent and uh, holds a managerial position was M Judy Dench she dies mm -hmm. oh my god and I thought to myself oh my god how funny is that because and I was like was Joe using that on a subconscious level as influence because because mm -hmm. She delivers this line. Um, what does she say? Uh, her last words were something to the effect of, it's nice to know I, I finally did get one thing right. And I remember walking away from that movie and it's all coming back to you here in a second. Yeah. Oh my God. Was Judy or M James's mom? Mom? Well, no, because he oh. wouldn't be his mom, but okay. Well, but he was orphaned, but you know, and it just made me spin this thing and it made me think of Bridger and his mom. And do you think on some little, this is my question, all that okay. job. No, that was a little subconscious influence somewhere because of the similar paths that these two characters took. It's quite possible. I, and I think I do like Skyfall a lot. And back to my earlier comment about going back and listening to the first of series, I went back and did all the early Bond, Casino Royale, and Rush of Love, you know, you know the best of the best, um, to see how Fleming did it. He did it differently than anybody. Um, they're, 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 they're very well could be, I do like that. And I hadn't really thought about it right now. Uh, and, and the ages are about right. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, I think James Bond saw him as a sort of surrogate mother because she you know, got him through. She believed in him. She brought him back, even though he'd been a bad boy. Um, she forgave him. And that's kind of, there's those elements inside 
the spy devils too. I mean, she, she, they both forgive each other all the way through the damn book. And it's going to get really, yeah. One of my favorite things about that story of yours. Yeah. And that's, and that's why it's going to be um, a lot more in book two when they're going to go at it. So, uh, or rules or reverse, wherever it's going to, I haven't got through, I haven't written it yet. It's in here. I just haven't put it down yet. So, but there's, listen, we're people. And if you're going to write characters, you got to write people that people relate to. And uh, some people want to relate to being the superhero with a, the bullet always just misses their head by an inch or they hear it whizzing by their ear, but they can do triple somersaults and hit the guy between the eyes. That's because they're the greatest. And you want to be that person. And those, those books serve purpose and they're great. They're well, Mark, Mark and, you know, Carr and, and, that, and the whole gang, Josh and Simon, they're all great. Um, I wanted to be a little bit different on that and have a little, little bit more family. Well, Simon does a lot more family, but Simon Gervais, you know, but I wanted that that element of that these are just people and everybody has a story. That was the beginning theme I'd written on my wall here. Truth is stranger than fiction and everybody has a story. Yep. I was trying to tell that as a story as opposed to an action thriller book. That's what I was trying to do. Tell a story of a family. The spy devils are a family amongst themselves. The bondars, the bad people are a family amongst themselves. There's, there's these clashing, you know, your stories. One of the, the idea. another one of my favorite things about this book is we begin our a little bit of a wrap up is that I love the interspersing of humor. I love the fact that, you know, someone said once, oh, how could you have humor inside of a scene that's so tragic? I'm like, isn't that life? I mean, we laugh yeah. to keep from crying. We, we look, we search for levity to keep us from the depravity of depression. So uh, one of my favorite things was the smart ass remarks along the way. Yeah, I get, I, in fact, I get a lot of uh, comments on that and that was intentional, obviously. Um, I, I wanted to make Bridger a, who does most of the wisecracking he and demon, demon took over too. People love demon. Yeah. Um, I, I should write a book on it. If I do a spinoff, it'll be demon. Yes. Uh, but when I was in the agency, and even in doing campaigns and whatever, you know, it's it's dark. It's it's it can be hard, and you're by yourself with your small group around you, who only, only people who know what you're doing. You know, I didn't tell my wife much until I had to retire and or or, or left. I didn't retire, left, and more resigned. And uh, the only way you got through it was humor. Right. We would joke. I always called it that we're just a mash unit. You know, right, our right, products right. were just all we are. We are sewing up bodies and doing all these really, you know, dark black things and propaganda up and all this sort of. And then we're just joking or or well, so well, to, to relieve the tension. And that's the core of why that happens inside this book. And I live because I lived that. I mean, I'm, I was sort of you know, I'm kind of the jokester of the gang, so it was easy to sort of transport that some of the some of that way. But I because I was a guy who said we're just mash. All right, we're just. We're sewing up bodies and we're cracking human black humor to get through this, get through this. I can see you being uh, the instigator of a lot of that humor. Yeah. What do you suppose uh, was one of the most exciting parts of your career, and especially in the CIA days? I mean, I'm sure your writing career is riveting on any given day, but I want to know, like, what, what was that? What were some of them? It could be a moment or a, a, a span of time, but what was that element that, that you'd wake up going, man? Am I glad I'm doing this today? This oh, well, um, it's lots of it in here. Um, 
he's holding up. Of the course, book. anything resembling real or true life is accident, coincidental, and a figment of the author's imagination. But when I was in propaganda operations and I was the TV guy, and I was this is 1980s, all right? Video was just coming online. Yes. CNN was just online. Yep. Uh, I was in a world of paper and PhDs, and I was like, you can, see, you know, video intelligence. Here it is. You know, I don't want to mess. I don't want to screw over the Soviets by uh, calling them, writing a paper. I don't want to call them bad names. I want to cause them pain, and which is actually I use that in the book. Uh, I really enjoyed getting up and being creative ways of how to get the, the perspectives, the mission, to whatever I was told to do by the U.S. government to support our to support our, our mission. Um, so that was one of them, which was uh, just getting up and just being creative and just to screw these guys over. Um, and it's a lot easier now because you have internet, you can screw them over in a second with viral as opposed to sure. the hard way, the stone eyes and bear skins. Another time, we, like I, I went through a couple of wars, you know, Gulf One and Gulf Two, and I was in a different sort of part of my government career. And I was doing some things as a case officer and actually some of those awards we were talking about earlier i did a lot of collecting on some things and i had the people actually call me in back to give me some stuff and said what you did saved lives wow and that i'm chilling up again because what like we talked about what do you know what you're doing you're going off you're trying to squeeze some information from people you're collecting on things to support our troops in the field period and you're providing that back to headquarters and the cable and then off you go and then you and then you get called upon to do some special things on top of that you do a good job and they say you saved lives and so i'll, I'll take that okay to the grave because maybe there's some person who's not there and they get to live their lives based upon what i was told in feedback whether they're blowing smoke on my skirt i don't know but um we did do a lot we were working working really hard to support you know the, the gold operations back then so i'll take those I'll take that. That's awesome. Let me ask you this, because you were talking about uh, we were talking about the reasons for writing. Let's say because I am I do this with my wife all the time. I always say, OK. Big, big sky dream here. No holds barred. It's it's dreamscaping time, honey, because and, and we're perfectly matched because I'm an Aquarian and she's I can't think of it. Uh, <laughs> You're an aquarium. You're official. You're a fish tank. I'm an aquarium, and I'm really just a fish. No, we're. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. I am uh, creative, and she is spreadsheets. So for you, tomorrow, someone, a, Agent X, Agent Orange. No, Agent. The perfect. Maybe Greg Hurwitz here. Yeah. The perfect agent says, Joe, I love your stuff. We want to pick up. Uh, I want to hire you to write this next book. Number one, the question is, what would you write? Would it be any differently than what you're doing right now? Okay. And mm -hmm. number two, would uh, actually it's going to be three. Number yeah. two, would your reason for it shift at all? And 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 the and the paycheck could be ginormous, or it could be just enough to make you happy. Taking notes. Okay. So let's just let's just do that and and. And, and what would it be? Well, it depends if they said, I want you to write, 
uh, you know, more spy devils. I want to make a make a miniseries out of them. I want okay. Let's let's go with that, Drew, because I personally think I think spy devils would make a great series. My wife and I just yeah. made a whole yeah. load of series, and I'm like, this would make a great series. It would actually, but uh, yes. all writers think that, by the way. Well, of course. Um, I, I'll tell you. I'll let me work backwards on that. If I had the ultimate dream, I want to win an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay or Best Adapted Screenplay. Okay. That would be the thing. So what can I do to get there? Could there be a, is it going to be my To Kill a Mockingbird literary historical fiction book or if it's going to be a thriller book? I, I don't think I am qualified to write outside uh, an imagination zone that the readers are looking for, such as uh, Carr or that crowd. I would go back to John le Carre. I would go back to the beginning and I would write a true espionage story, okay. which is sub sub line of Secret Wars because it was inside the walls, so I call it. Sure. You're seeing things you can't see and I would put those people in situations where they can't get out of until they get to those situations and they have to get out of it. Not all of them. And which is our, our, all of our lives, right? Right. So I don't know what the, I don't know what the what the storyline would be, but it it would be a world when when you walk into it, you would say, "I know that guy." Got it. In fact, when I first, let me let me let me just keep rambling because time is reading. I don't know what you think. When I the first drafts of, of Spy Devils, I told you, has totally changed. It was about corporate intelligence. Oh, it was my job. It was my life at Motorola, yeah. and I did some things and blah blah blah. And when I got done, you know what I realized about corporate intelligence as an espionage thriller? It's boring, all oh. right? You know, unless you want to write about seeing a computer and doing spreadsheets and whatever it is. And so can intelligence work, because a lot of it's sitting around to that one 10 seconds of thrill. You're right. sitting across the table, you're walking down the street or whatever it might be. So what is it? But I wanted people to say in the corporate world, hey, I know that HR officer. Hey, I know I've had that boss. All right. I've had to drag my ass into work when I that I wanted them to say I am in this story because I can see myself. Whatever I write, that is going to be the foundation of it. Okay. It's not going to be fantasy. Okay. And that's why there's parts of Spy Devils. In fact, the Bridger's opening forward is from him saying, Hey, you know, this is, you know, believe what you want to believe. Okay. And I let people believe what they want to believe, how much is real and how much is fake. I wanted to mention that I love the fact that your main character writes the forward to your book and yeah, I yeah. go back and read it. To, uh, wait a minute. That's the guy that I don't, I'm probably have seen that somewhere. I don't recall having seen that before. So I don't. Yeah, I got some flack for that. Agents didn't, uh, editors didn't like that. And agents, I put it back in cause I like it. Actually, I stole that from, was it Treasure Island or King Solomon's Mind? One of those, those, you know, narrative literary books of the old, I wanted to read it adventure stories because i wanted to you know add that sense and feel so i wanted i went back and did those back treasure island is one of the greatest of all time oh, so wow. i think one of those has the, the original author the character of the story saying believe it or not here is here is my story and so i said i like that and, and it's kind of actually how three musketeers starts because the author is actually saying we found this stuff we're going to write it believe it or not now you can believe Bridger in my stories or not or not. It, it may not just be a theatrical tool 
literary tool, you know, maybe more realistic or not. It's up to you to decide. How how much do you want to believe? Exactly. Exactly. Last how much do you want to get in the world? What was last, that? Last two questions. Okay, I'll stop. Number one. What piece of advice would you give up and coming writers today, whether it's your classroom or a uh, you're mentoring someone, um, someone's coming to you for advice in in a sentence or two, something that you can really take away that that a writer is right there on the cusp of trying to decide how to go about it. What's your the Joe Goldberg piece of advice that you say, yeah, absorb this, take it to the bank. Well, I don't think my advice is any more or my cliche advice being different than any of the cliche advice that you just see in the novels. Writers write, writers read, and you got to do both to get better, right? Right. And I listen to read now, but um, it doesn't help think about it. it. As as my dad would say, I ain't gonna get done looking at it. All right. So it ain't gonna be get done thinking about it. It ain't gonna get done saying you are. Until you do. My dad used to say, if you aim at nothing, son, you're going to hit it every time. That's right. It's kind of the same thing. You know, it ain't going to get done looking at it. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, so stare at that blank screen, put down a sentence, maybe get to the second sentence, and then off you go. That's Hemingway. He said, just start writing a couple of words and see what happens. Why do, you, why do you, this is an interesting side question. Why do you, why is it, do you suppose... And I, I know this is perhaps more theoretical, but I often ask myself this question. Why do people get afraid? What scares them most? Are they more afraid of not being a success, i.e. being a failure? Or are they more afraid that they won't be able to handle the success if it comes? I often wonder that. I'm like, if 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 all things are even and we're all given 24 hours a day, which we are, and we all can do pretty much whatever we want to do, which we can, what is it that keeps someone holding back? And I'm using writers in general mm -hmm. from really just shoot, shooting for the moon because not every agent's gonna love your stuff but somebody somewhere may and 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 how how many times do you have to hear a no before you go well geez i guess i must suck an alien i'll never really make it i mean kind of rhetoric no there's some that's that's the age-old question how how self-conscious are writers to be able to deal with criticism and people you think you've got something that you really like and someone says that really blows um, or you've got your finished book and you start getting reviews that say, what a waste of time, but when it, and that hurts your self-esteem and self-confidence. We're all human beings. We want to be accepted. We want people to love what we do. You've put a lot of effort into it and you want, you want thumbs up. You want five stars. As I always tell my class and I, and I was going to actually tweet this, I tweet this out some regularly is I am all in on feedback. I will take positive or constructive comments. Negative does me no good. Negative is just you venting and just trying to hurt my feelings. You say something constructive, I don't understand this, this made no sense, it's too whimsical, whatever it might be, not action packed enough. I, that's constructive. But if you just are gonna, we're afraid of that negative part of it. And so I, when I tell my classes to grade me 
you know, at the end of the year, I'll take positive and constructive comments. They yeah. make me a better teacher. Give me things that make me a better writer. Because just because I published a book doesn't make it mean I'm a writer. It means I got a book out, all right? Yeah. There, there are writers and there are people who, who just do stuff. Yes. And, and they just say cream rises to the top and maybe they got the lucky break, whatever reason it might be, a lot of it has to do with time. 2014, a much less cluttered market, a much yes. less technology driven market. Yes. Easier to be a bestseller. Seven years later, I'm, a, I'm in the, you know, you and I are in competition, right? We both got books out there. Yeah. And is yours is coming out or out? It's, oh, hi, it's out. It came out last week. And I, last I'm, week. I knew it was soon. Do you have a copy yet? I will be getting a copy. You got mine, right? I sent it to you. Oh, yeah. So I'll, I'll, is it, it's Kindle, right? I'll, I'll pull it down. I'll, I'll buy it. I don't take it. Kindle and paperback, sir. You can get other when you like. Okay. Well, I'll buy one and you can send me another signed copy on your own for your own time. Um, so I'll push, I'll, we push each other. We have to because it's a small market. Go ahead. Question number two. Time is fleeting. Question number two. And I, I love this. Having spent my entire first career in radio, I write all my books to music almost always, unless it's unless I just need silence, but generally speaking, especially when I'm writing action scenes, I have a couple of uh, performers that I really care for. I'm just really curious, when you were writing The Spy Devils, did you have either a genre or a, sp a specific band or orchestra or whatever? What were you listening to, if indeed you were, when writing Spy Devils? First of all, Diet Coke is required to write. Second, for listening, I listen to jazz. Oh. Uh, because um, I came out of the music world. My, my wife and I met in the Iowa Hawkeye marching band music thing. Uh, so if I, and I, and I, I'm oral. So if I'm hearing words, I'm done. So I, I can only listen to music. Yep. So I, my mind doesn't go off, but I, I can't write in silence. That would, I can't, I, I couldn't study in silence as a, in college. So I always just play jazz. I put on the Pandora jazz stations, let it rip. And it can be big band. It can be Maynard Ferguson to, to, you know, whatever, Dave Matthews, or not Dave Matthews, yeah. uh, whatever, just combo jazz. Um, I listen to my brother's a sort of a, uh, uh, he's a musician, he's got albums out, it's sort of a new new wave, sort of, uh, I don't know what he calls it, but it's good stuff. So I listen to him too, but stuff that is music in the background. Melodic, yeah. but not intrusive with words. Not intrusive in my head. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I listen to more uh, Hans Zimmer, and those guys, you know, uh, anything to do with, and I could rattle them off, but I'm not going to waste the time. But basically, Born I, uh, the Born series, Hero mm -hmm. Dark Thirty, those pieces of music, this dun 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 dun, you know, that drives that momentum. But uh, mm -hmm. I'm with you. The words that would that would distract. It me. kills me. Yeah, I never really thought about going into the going into movie theme song genre for action people. That's not a bad idea. I might try that. I mean, can I steal you. Is that copywritten? No, no. Seriously, okay. uh, I'll share when I get back home. I'll share with you my. Let's see. Do I have it in? I have it in Spotify, and I have it in uh, Apple. And I what I do is I build categories. So if I'm like action thriller, I'll I'll pump that cue full of this kind of music. Or if it's you know if it's melodic tension, I'll fill that cue. But yeah, I'm a big 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 fan of drawing the energy through melody yeah when you get in the zone i don't even know there's music back there right you're just letting it rip sure my, my biggest problem is i have little sausage fingers and typing is a is a challenge for uh 
little sausage fingery me, um, spell, spell checker and Grammarly. God bless him. Yeah. Well, uh, I got a couple little cues for you. First of all, uh, if you were asking me, you did not. So I usually do not give advice unless I'm asked, but I'm going to break my rule here. Yeah. Diet Coke is, I would love to see you choose something other than Diet Coke. That, I diet, know. that I'm going to eat. mom. Pardon my language, but that shit will F you up. I mean, that's stuff. I know, mom. I know. I know. That's why I've got the bottle of water with the thing. It's, it's, it's taking, it's, it's now, to be honest with you, pushed out Diet Coke in 80% of my day now. So okay. I'm working on it. I'm, yeah. I'm trying, dad. I promise. Okay, I <laughs> okay son. Don't, I just... don't cut my tuition off. I want you to be healthy for years to come because we want more spy devils. Yes, yes, thank you. I want to write more spy devils. Joe Goldberg, you are delightful. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This has been a pleasure. Great questions. We got to keep in contact, man. Yeah. And I'll be, and I hope people, I will promote your writing and your, and your endeavors as much as humanly possible thank because you. that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we should do. We should. We, we really, I mean, if we're not serving the community and supporting each other, then, you know, what the hell are we exactly. doing? Yeah. My, my motto, number one motto, I live by mottos. Yes. Whatever I can do to help, let me know. Okay. Period. So please do. I will. Now, this will be coming out on Friday. So I've got some work to do to edit that together, but yeah. I'll give you the information and you can pr promote accordingly. I will promote accordingly. Excellent. Thank you again. Thank you, sir. Enjoy your time. Happy, happy summer. Yes, and to you. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.